Um, I have been speaking on vision for the past uh, four weeks, I believe it is, four or five weeks. And this morning is part five, part five of the series, Living with Vision. Most people don't live with vision. Um, God puts a vision in every person that comes to the world. There's nobody who's born in this world, regardless of how dire or um, substandard their conditions may be, every life is precious to God and every life is full of potency and God puts a vision. A person has a purpose when they come into this world. Immediately Satan goes to work to, to destroy that purpose, to make sure that vision never comes into focus. But when we become born again, when we receive Jesus in our life, one of the first things that happen is God begins to awaken that vision and he shows you why you are you. Sometimes he shows you who you are and, and from his perspective. And so I've been talking all about it and sharing. And the fact is that uh, you're born with a future. You're not just born to fall forward day after day into life, um, into fate, but you're born with a purpose. And God is eager to get you on that track. And if you ask him about it, he'll talk to you about it. He'll, he'll share it with you. So your future is not out there in the world. Your future's inside of you. And vision is simply seeing your future. And vision doesn't come by seeing what's out in the world. Vision comes by knowing what God has hidden in your heart. We call that vision. Now, when, when God begins to bring forth his vision in your life and you begin to see it, it's going to bring four results that are going to happen in your life. And we've been speaking about these four. We're going to talk about the fourth one this morning. The first was it's going to bring desire, special desire for the, for the things that, that God has for you. It's going to bring open doors. Door, your vision will open doors. It's going to bring special words. I shared last week, there will be words, not only out of the scriptures, but words that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, to guide you. And this morning, every vision comes with sacrifice. So I suppose if there's a negative side to this message, you might be getting a piece of it this morning. We don't like sacrifice, but it is an inescapable reality that there is no vision that can succeed without sacrifices being made for its fulfillment. And that's just a fact of life. The importance of sacrifice in fulfilling your vision can be summed up by this wonderful quote by Robert Browning, the great 19th century poet. And it goes like this. Who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve. Isn't that awesome? Who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve. Now Browning's statement captures the dramatic difference between useful sacrifices that are produced by a vision and meaningless sacrifices that are produced out of ignorance. You can sacrifice things in your life ignorantly and you can make sacrifices purposefully, purposefully following the vision that God's put in you. Now, useful sacrifices, they're the ones that uh, are made 
by choosing to pursue the one thing that you're keeping in view. Remember Robert Browning's statement, who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve. And I'd just like to pause for a moment and interject. I can't help saying that without thinking about uh, Psalm 27, 4, where David said, one thing have I desired from the Lord that also will I pursue and seek after. In other words, I'm going to marshal every bit of my interest and desire and I'm going to pour it into that one thing that I desire from the Lord. So I think about that when Robert, uh, Robert Browning, that's what he saw when he made that statement. Robert Browning wasn't coming up with a philosophy. He was noticing a universal truth from God that when you find that one thing and pursue it, it will bring everything else into service behind it. So meaningful sacrifices as opposed to ignorant sacrifices, meaningful ones are the ones that you make out of uh, out of pursuing the one thing that you're keeping in view. Now, on the other hand, meaningless sacrifices, they're the ones that you make out of desperation when you're trying to stop the disasters that are happening to you because you didn't keep the one thing in view, because you're scattered and you pursued every shiny thing that uh, the world trolled in front of you, um, Naturally, your life just goes from one disaster to the next because the enemy knows he can easily lure you out of a place of safety and get you to charge after things that he trolls in front of you because you think, oh, that's going to result in something or, oh, that's going to, you know. And so whatever those things are, when you pursue them, they are going to produce meaningless or foolish sacrifices in your life. You're going to give up stuff and you're going to say, why did I ever do that? Now, there's a perfect, perfect illustration in the Bible that shows the difference between useful sacrifices pursuing the one thing, the vision, and meaningless sacrifices or ignorance, you know, uh, that we do through our ignorance. And that, that illustration is found in contrasting the lives of King Saul in the Old Testament and the Apostle Peter. And their two lives are very, very similar in one respect, but the outcome of their lives were dramatically different. And they, they, they contrasted together, provide a phenomenal illustration of that who keeps one end in view makes all things serve. The importance of sacrifice to your vision. Now, both of these men were decent men in whom God had placed a great vision in each of them, King Saul and in Peter. And if you aren't aware, go back and read about Saul in the Old Testament and read about Peter. You'll, you'll see it's an amazing story. God puts a vision in both these guys. Now, both of these men are possessed with good qualities and poor qualities. So they both have idiosyncrasies that are not so good, and they both have good qualities in their life. So they start out pretty much on even footing, both these guys. Young Saul, before he is made king of Israel, and uh, Peter, when Jesus sees him fishing at the shores of Galilee, and calls him. But their lives take dramatic different paths when they start following the vision 
that God has put within them or attempt to follow that vision. And the difference between them is how they managed the vision that God gave them. How they kept the one thing in view or didn't keep the one thing in view. So we're talking about the management of their vision. That's what contrasts their outcome. So I just want to make sure that you keep that in mind. Let's talk first about Saul. God gave young Saul a great vision. He was a young man living under his father's roof with many brothers. And God gives him a great vision, calling him to become the first king of Israel. God's people had never had a king. He's going to become the first king of Israel. And so God calls him to become the king of Israel. And with that call, and he he installs a vision in Saul to be the king of Israel, this young man. But along with that vision, he imparts to Saul supernatural from the Holy Spirit abilities to fulfill that vision and to be the man in that vision. The Bible says that when the the prophet Samuel prophesied over Saul, anointed him with oil, and declared under the power of the Holy Spirit him to be the king of Israel, the scripture says the Holy Ghost came upon him. And that young man started to prophesy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit like the great prophets. And he started hanging out with the prophets and he started prophesying. And the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture uses this phrase in describing Saul. It says, and he became another man. So God put a vision in him and he became different. He became another man. He became a version of himself on turbo, however you want to think about it. So, but the problem is that shortly after he began to pursue that vision and he begins to become king, um, instead of keeping that one end, that one thing in view, Saul can't stop paying attention to people's opinions. He can't stop looking at what people say or think about him. He sees little threats out there that threaten him and he starts getting jealous. He starts seeing his circumstances and he can't stop being gravitated, wanting to respond to them. When God gives you a vision, how many of you know it's not gonna lead you into a fairy tale? How many of you know that you, you, you live in a battlefield? We live on a battlefield. There's, we get respites, but that is life. And um, the world is not going to come to a screeching halt and throw open some gilded gold door for you just because you're pursuing the vision that God's given. That, how many of you know that's not going to happen? And as a matter of fact, when you start discovering the vision of who you are in Christ, a target appears. And the devil starts coming after you. At first, you know, you think, why is all this stuff happening? Then you realize, I am the subject of a plot. I I think there's a plot against me. Well, the problem with Saul is when that started to happen, Saul couldn't stop paying attention to it. And he got himself all worked up. He kept thinking about it. These people are after me. David wants my position. And he made it all worse. It all became much worse than it had to be. And so he... He could not keep his eyes on God. He just kept being drawn away by the circumstances. 
It didn't take long, and Saul began to disobey the Lord. God gave him a specific assignments through the prophet Samuel, and he started compromising them, and he wouldn't follow them, he wouldn't obey them, because the fear of what others were thinking and doing and saying were having an impact on him, and it started to modify his behavior. See, he who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve, but he stopped serving God because he quit keeping his eyes, singularly focused on God and ignoring the noise. People, there's a reason why the noise is getting noisier. There's a reason why the nuts is getting nuttier. There's a reason why evil is coming out of the sewers and standing up in the streets. Isaiah prophesied about the last days. He said, truth is fallen in the streets. Justice has stumbled backwards. Why is that happening? Why is darkness arising on the circumference of the earth and spreading over the land? Because darkness knows its end is coming, its challenge. The prince of light is coming. And darkness has one compulsion to get you to look at it, to get you to pay attention to it, to get you to talk and engage. And just how many of you remember... How many remember the tar baby? Remember Sambo and the tar baby and that, that whole wonderful story? I don't think we're even allowed to talk about that nowadays, but I don't care. So it doesn't really bother me. It's a great story. But uh, yeah, Br'er Rabbit could not keep his hands off the tar baby. That's exactly what Satan's plot is. And that's what Saul did. He could not keep his eyes on God. He kept worrying about and trying to fix his own problems, messing around in his own situation instead of trusting and serving God. Well, the Bible says that what happened to him was eventually his relationship with God vanished and he became a demon hotel. He became possessed by evil spirits. He went mad and he died as a demon-possessed man who had once been anointed by God to be the king of Israel. It's a pretty dramatic story. But let's contrast it with Peter, the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter, God gives Peter a tremendous vision for his life. He's fishing by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, drop your nets and you'll catch fish. He said, come on, man. I've been fishing here all night. There's no fish. I'm a professional. What are you? You're some kind of speaker or something. You don't know nothing about fish. I know fish. There's no fish. Jesus says, just drop your net. Peter drops his net. Boom! It's full of fish. And it's just starting to break. And, G and he realizes what kind of, he realizes how carnally minded he is. And so when he gets to shore, he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And he says, master, which means teacher. It's a term of reverence, master. Go from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus kind of picks him up and puts his hand on his shoulder. He says, don't worry about it, man. He said, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. He speaks, he coaxes, calls Peter's vision out of him. Peter didn't realize he was called to be a fisher of men. He didn't realize that that, 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 that vision to serve and to be a leader and to lead others. To, he didn't know that was in him. The Lord called it out of him and said, just come follow me. Peter throws his nets in the boat, says goodbye to his dad, leaves his wife and kids at home. I'm not trying to make a point. And follows Jesus, goes following Jesus for the next three and a half years. 
You see, the thing that was different about Peter, and we read, we read about those three and a half years. He was impetuous. He made mistakes. He let his wrong thinking get in the way, but he always returned back to the one thing. Peter was all about the one thing following Jesus. That thing that Jesus spoke to him became his calling, became his vision, and he pursued it. And whenever he got off course, he quickly did what we call repenting, which means he readjusted himself. He realigned himself and he got back on. And the Lord worked with him. God doesn't call strikes out against you. And if the Bible says, though the righteous fall seven times, they get up again. Because it's the one thing we keep in view. And so Peter was very different because when Peter made Jesus the one thing and began to pursue him, all the other things in Peter's life swung in behind that one pursuit and began to serve that purpose. And you're going to see how that happened in a moment. So Peter's walking with Jesus along with the other apostles, the other disciples, and he realizes that he has made great sacrifices to follow Jesus. And he'd like to ask Jesus, am I going to get anything for this? You know, am I, am I going to get anything for all that I have put aside and sacrificed to follow you? And his moment comes when a young, rich ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, let's see. You know the commandments what do they say? And the young man says, well, to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I've done these from my youth up. Jesus looks at him, and the Bible says Jesus loved him. It's amazing. Put that right in the gospel. And Jesus loved him. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, one thing you need, one thing you need, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says the young man turned away sadly, for he had great riches, and he walked away from Jesus. And Jesus turned to the disciples, he said, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. I know that it says, probably in your translation most, how hard it is for those who have abundance of wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But the inference underneath is those that trust, because it's hard to have it without trusting it. Probably not a lot of us sitting in this sanctuary this morning can say in your life you have proved that having great riches is hard to keep from because most of us probably haven't had millions of dollars worth of riches. But maybe some of you have. The point is, Jesus makes the statement how hard it is for those that have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Well, Peter and the disciples are stunned. And they are really thrown by that because all of life for them, the whole culture of walking with God is that God will lead you. God will meet your needs. God will prosper you. And this sounds like a vow of poverty. This sounds like, wow, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven unless you're poor. You mean God has favorites? He likes poor people, doesn't really like people with money. And of course, that wasn't at all. But that's what it sounded like, but it wasn't what the Lord was saying. And so Jesus modifies what he said, how hard it is for those that trust in riches to enter the kingdom. And he, he says it's harder for a, a camel to go through the, uh, uh, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So the rich 
young ruler walks away. And Peter has now the opportunity to ask the Lord. He's thinking, well, I've given up a lot. I've given up everything, really. I gave up my business. I, when I gave up my business, I gave up my future. I gave up my profession. I have literally given up my path in life to step onto this new path. What do I get? He asked Jesus. This is his opportunity. So I want to read this little narrative of what Jesus says when Peter asks the question. It's taken out of, um, actually, actually Mark, Luke, and John all have the same narrative. Peter says, look, we have left everything to follow you. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. There's no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive in this time, in this age, 100 times as much homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus makes this amazing, remarkable statement. He says, you have sacrificed in order to follow me. My intention is not to put you under a vow of poverty. I'm not calling you to poverty. I'm calling you to priority. Jesus was not presenting a religion of sacrifice. He was presenting the prioritizing of the kingdom of God. He was basically saying to the disciples, and by extension to you and I, to follow me, you must make me a priority and make me the priority. In other words, Robert Browning simply was seeing what Jesus was saying and copying when he said, he who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve. Because Jesus said, if you, there's no one who has said goodbye to all of those things in order to follow me, whom I will not cause to come back to you 100 times in this life. So he's not saying you're going to be kept poor. He's going to be saying God's going to bless you. But all of those things are going to now fall behind and they're going to serve the vision that you're following rather than you trying to extract your life out of those things. Without you trying to strangle your life out of your marriage relationship or strangle your life out of your relationship with your children or strangle purpose and meaning out of your jobs, your careers. Instead, all of those things can fall behind and serve the one purpose to be the man or woman in the way that God wants you to be following Jesus in his kingdom. So Jesus clears up any misguided notions that he's calling his people to a vow of poverty and uh, to living hand-to-mouth because actually they didn't live hand-to-mouth. They didn't live in poverty. God blessed them. And, you know, Peter did leave his wife, but he didn't leave his wife, if you know what I mean. He left her at home while for three and a half years he follows Jesus. And they came back into Galilee several times, so it's not like he didn't see her during those times. But but he walked away, and he made Jesus first. And then for the rest of his life, his home, his marriage, his mother-in-law, his family, they all served the Lord. And God used his house, used his family. So, sacrifice, let me, let me take another step forward. Sacrifice is the result of pursuing the love of God's vision. It's a result of love. Sacrifice is caused by the love 
that comes into our heart when we discover God's vision for our life and begin to pursue it. And give you a couple of verses pretty familiar to you, but they, they are in essence saying that exact same thing. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. There's the highest sacrifice known to mankind. God sacrificed His Son, not foolishly, not ignorantly, but out of love. Why? Because He was keeping one thing in view. The one thing was you, having you as his son, having you as his daughter, having you in his forever family, having you for eternity, being able to redeem you from the disaster of this world and bring you into communion forever and give you a forever eternity with himself. He kept that in view and the love he had for you caused him to sacrifice whatever he needed to do to make that happen the right way. And so when God gave his son, what was he giving? He was really giving himself because the son is nothing more than the great I am, the eternal father manifest in this world and time and space as the Lord Jesus Christ. They are one. Jesus said in uh, the gospel of John, Philip, have I been with you so long and you haven't recognized me? I and my Father are one. Another one that I love is in John 15 where Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There again, why would I lay down my life? Because greater love is something I'm pursuing. I see greater love, I'm pursuing it. And, um, and that is how we make sacrifices. That's why we make, that's where the power comes from. Sometimes we see great people who have sacrificed tremendous things to do great things in life, and we think, oh, I wish I could walk in their steps. You don't have to be them. Be the man or woman that God's called you to be, and I guarantee you that opportunity is there in your life as well. The love of God in you calling you to be that man, that woman that God's called you to be. You will lay down your life for others. You will be that person whose sacrifice sows a seed that produces something far greater than what you could have been or done by yourself. Sacrifice, according to the Apostle Paul, is inspired by seeing the excellency of knowing Jesus. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes a little bit of a personal, um, it, it's, it, it really looks like it's statements he took out of his personal daily diary and put them in the letter to the Ephesians. Because this is what he writes in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Whatever things were gain to me, whatever things that I had, I counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He's not complaining. He's not complaining. He's rejoicing. He's not complaining over a foolish sacrifice. He's happy. He said, 
those things that I had. Now, when you think about the Apostle Paul, he had some things. He was a leader in his culture. He was highly educated. He was on a, he was on a development path from his youth up to become a great leader in the Jewish society. And that leadership would have meant great power and great influence. And he walked away from all of it because Paul knew if I keep looking at those things and pursuing those things, I can't do that and keep Jesus in view. The more I see Jesus, I see him walking away from that stuff. So he left his future and his purpose behind, but God didn't leave it. God picked it up and he made it something valuable. Praise the Lord. And so he said, I've considered everything as loss. And I count it as rubbish, really. That's the value that it has. It was everything to me, and now it's nothing to me for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. We used to say years ago, I met Jesus and he ruined me for everything else. Um, and, you know, there's a truth to that. It is a phrase that refers to the sacrifices that we make, but what we get in return is phenomenal not to mention the eternity that waits. So the entire concept of Christian sacrifice has nothing to do, and you need to get this, has nothing to do with offering up to God something God needs. God never calls us to sacrifice something because he needs it. He wants it. As though God had some lack, and he needs your, our pathetic, puny little things that we've got. Or that for some reason he just likes to see us twisting in the wind and going without. Those, that's all that ignorant, foolish sacrifice. No, that the, the true Christian sacrifice has nothing to do with giving God something he needs. It has to do with something you need. You and I are the ones that need to make those sacrifices. Because we are realigning our lives with the greatness of Jesus, and we're doing it at all cost. I'm not going to let anything that's going on in my life, anything I have, any ambitions, any dreams, anything that I possess, I'm not going to let any of it get in the way of me following Jesus. He's going to be first, and I because I trust that that is the true test, the acid test, that I could put every other priority in my life under that acid test and it'll succeed. If I put Jesus first, God will make all those things serve that purpose. If I don't, I'll be like Saul, chasing them, I'll mangle them, and I'll lose them all. I'll lose them all. So Jesus, by giving us his life, has already ensured the value of your sacrifice. I close with this verse to illustrate that point. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. 
and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So Jesus kept one thing in view. That one thing he kept in view, Terry, it was you. That one thing that he kept in view, Kaylee, was you. He saw you, Kaylee. 2,000 years later, he saw your life. He saw your opportunity to bring an awesome family into the world. And he said, if I can get this girl to look at me and to follow me, to put me first, I can cause every other impact that she will have on life to prosper and to become worthy. Jesus had a joy that was set before him. And as a result, he made the sacrifice that he must make, that he had to make. And by making those sacrifices, he gained everything for you and I. That same principle is awaiting you and I. We can live and God will prove that principle in your life. Jesus made your sacrifices worthy by doing it first and going before you. You just have to get in the stream behind him and follow him, follow his example, and what he experienced becomes your experience. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Jesus did not save any one of you to see how you'll turn out, to see how you'll do. He saved you to share his experience with you. Not all the sufferings that he suffered, but the inheritance that he gained. He wants you to have it. And that is awesome. Praise the Lord. So I want to pray with you this morning and give you an opportunity just to stand in your life where you are right now. And you might be in the middle right now of making sacrifices in your life. You might be stuck between a decision. Shall I hold on to this? Shall I go here? Should I do that? And you may be wondering, what's the right way to go? What's the answer? What's going to produce the, the best thing? And I would go, and I pardon me for not using something with chapter and verse. Pardon me for using Brother Robert Browning's beautiful quote. He who keeps one thing in view makes all things serve. It's the key to blessing. It's the key to sacrifice. And so I want to pray with you that God will answer your dilemma, answer you in your life by helping you keep that one thing, helping him be the thing that you see and how you should walk with him. And he'll come into your life, walk with you just like he did Peter and the rest of them. Be your best friend, guide you every day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice, either in the sanctuary this morning who may be viewing this video. <clears throat> Lord, for everyone that is looking and searching. Because you said there is nobody that truly comes and desires the Holy Spirit, desires the Spirit of God that you will turn them away. Lord, if we set our affection, our desire upon you, you will give us yourself as a gift of life. And so, Father, I pray for everyone hears these words this morning, that their heart will turn to you, that they will receive you as their answer. Ask Jesus Christ to come, be Lord of their life.
by receiving you as their Savior. They make you Lord. Help each and every one of us to follow you, to follow that vision. Help us to see who we are as we follow you. Because as we get up and follow you and make you first, we will, we will realize all our life, those certain desires in us were planted by you. And as we follow you, they, they come to life. They become real. We see now who we are. Father, give that awakening. Give that revelation to each one, I pray. And if you need to take that first step by asking Jesus in your heart, take it with me right now and pray with me. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I believe you are Jesus. And I ask you, come into my life. As you come, forgive me of my sins and make me the person that you have want me and have called me to be. Send the Holy Spirit into my life to be my helper and to guide me. Father, whatever sacrifices wait for me, I gladly make them as I look to you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for the great things that are going to come from you through my life. In Jesus' name, amen.